war memories part one of escape from the confederacy by benjamin f hasson this librivox recording is in the public domain flank out frank and go with us to-morrow we were squatted on the sandy ground vermin-laden sand inside the prison stockade on bell island discussing the probable destination of the prisoners then being daily removed from that place joseph morton and peter deems of my own regiment and myself were of the party and the above remark was made by morton and addressed to me it was early in the month of march eighteen sixty four and just after that famous raid to the vicinity of richmond by general kilpatrick and colonel ulrich dahlgren the daring troopers had even penetrated the defences of the city and thoroughly alarmed the rebel authorities immediately steps were taken to remove the prisoners from richmond to andersonville georgia and other remote points in the south out of the reach of rescue by federal raiders the prisoners on the island were divided off into hundreds the first hundred was composed of those first put into the stockade and then as new or fresh prisoners arrived the second and other hundreds were added one member of each hundred was chosen to see to the welfare of the men in securing rations etc the hundreds were subdivided into messes of twenty-five each and a man was selected from among them whose duty it was to cut up the loaves of corn-bread into twenty-five equal-sized pieces and see that they were impartially issued to the men this was done by placing a man with his back to the pieces of bread and the sergeant pointing to one piece at a time and asking whose is this the answer would be that goes to number one and so on through the list of twenty-five the men were called by number instead of name this was made necessary by reason of frequent changes on account of deaths this rather full explanation is given here because it answers questions often asked me this stockade or enclosure within which prisoners were confined comprised several acres on the lower end of the island around which piles were driven close together leaving perhaps four to six feet projecting above ground a little below the top of these logs or piles a platform was erected and on this platform the guards marched and countermarched it is not my intention to enter into a description of the condition of the prison camps their histories have been written and all are doubtless more or less familiar with them at this time there were about nine thousand five hundred ninety five hundreds in the stockade up to and including the sixteenth hundred had already been taken away morton and deems were in the eighteenth hundred and i was in the twenty-second hundred it was expected that the next day more would be taken and fearful that my squad would not be reached i was asked by morton to flank out and go along it was a violation of the rules to go from one squad to another but on account of the many deaths occurring every night it could be managed in an emergency like this having been on the island for six months i was glad to make a change of residence a change of any kind was desirable even if it was not an improvement to walk around the stockade another day over the same well-beaten path looking into the same pale haggard faces listening to the groans of the dying and witnessing the miserable condition of the living was no longer tolerable so that rather than suffer the ills we had we were willing to flee to others we knew not of 
I did flank out that night, and the next morning quietly slipped into the 18th hundred with Morton and Deems, and marched with them out of the enclosure and over the bridge to the city of Richmond. We were put into the building called the Pemberton, and remained there until the following morning, when we crowded into freight cars, forty to sixty in a car, and started southward. While crossing the bridge on our way from the island to the city, I was marching by the side of a prisoner whom I had not met before. He was yet in apparently vigorous condition, evidently not having been a prisoner very long. He asked me in a suppressed tone if I intended to try to escape in case we were taken further south. I replied that I did, and we were there and then entered into a contract to go together. He was enthusiastic about the matter, and gave me his hand as a pledge of his sincerity. Studying means of escape and efforts to rid themselves of the tormenting vermin were the chief occupations of prisoners of war while awake. In their fitful and uneasy slumbers they were dreaming that they were at home, sitting at the most abundantly supplied tables, and enjoying all the comforts which the word home implies long continued exposure and lack of food had engendered diseases and reduced the poor creatures to the most pitiable condition of course some were worse off than others but all looked miserable enough after passing through petersburg we were satisfied that a longer term of imprisonment awaited us for had it been the purpose to exchange us we should have stopped at petersburg and from there been taken to city point when the fact was made known there were loud murmurings the bronzed and starved faces were pictures of the most abject wretchedness and despair reaching gaston north carolina we were transferred to another train taking the gaston and raleigh road from that point morton was very sick when we started from richmond and the jolting received in the cars had tended to increase his trouble i endeavoured to keep as close to him as possible on the way so as to render him all the assistance i could when changing cars at gaston he was quite feeble and required assistance to get from one train to the other do you intend to escape lieutenant was whispered in my ear as we were getting off the train on looking around i found peter deems at my elbow to-night i as quietly replied all right i'm with you said he those who will remember mr deems and doubtless many of his old friends in pike run township and all his surviving comrades in company f will must be amused as i was at such a proposition coming from him although he was considerably reduced in flesh by his long confinement he was yet large and clumsy and to jump from a running train would to my mind have resulted disastrously the whistle of the locomotive notified us that all was ready and it was not long until we were speeding southward on looking around for deems i found he had in some way failed to get into that car i never saw him after his name together with poor morton's appeared in a list of prisoners who answered the last great roll-call at andersonville georgia night came on as we approached franklinton station franklin county north carolina here the train stopped for some time for the purpose of taking on wood and water and while doing this the guards in the car were relieved 
that is those stationed there during the day were taken away and other men put in their places i kept careful watch of everything going on and all the while keeping in view my purpose to get out of that car at the very earliest opportunity while placing the guards the officer in charge renewed the instructions for the night they were emphatically ordered not to allow a prisoner to get near the door as is well known the doors on a freight car slide along the side of the car the door on one side of our car was securely fastened while the one on the other side was partly open perhaps two feet not more than enough for a man going out in a hurry to clear the sides there were two guards in the car one on each side of this partly open door armed confederate soldiers were scattered all along the train some on top of the cars the rear car an ordinary passenger coach was occupied exclusively by them they were held in readiness to answer a call from any part of the train in case of trouble a lantern was hung up to the ceiling near the middle of the car it was a little after dark when the bell announced the time for starting about the time the train was pulling out i asked the man who had agreed with me when we were crossing the bridge to make an effort to escape what he thought about it i found he had changed his mind the boisterous and violent manner in which the officer had instructed the guard to shoot any man who came near the door the sound of guns fired off for the purpose no doubt of overawing the prisoners and the general gloom which night and darkness threw around the scene had a depressing effect upon him he said he would surely be killed this was sufficient to convince me that he could not be relied upon and i bade him good-night and went in search of others who might be induced to consider the matter favourably two stalwart men with guns in their hands stood between us and liberty and a sufficient force to render their defeat absolutely certain must be brought to bear a failure to overpower them at the first attack would be sure to lead to the instant death of those engaged if not others the car was unspeakably filthy and the thoughts of remaining in it would unstring the strongest nerves while leaning against the end of the car and peering through the dim light made by the candle in the lantern and carefully scanning the scene before me i discovered four young soldiers sitting on the floor near the other end who seemed to be absorbed in the discussion of some important proposition i felt so confident i knew what they were talking about that i made my way to them by carefully stepping over the forms of the prisoners as they lay huddled together on the floor and getting down among them entered into conversation with them it is sufficient to say we soon had our plans laid and a perfect understanding as to carrying them out there was now five of us it was arranged that four should attack the guards in other words two of us to each guard while the fifth would make his way to the lantern which hung suspended to the ceiling of the car as before mentioned and at the time offensive operations were to begin he was to extinguish the light the guards were fully armed guns in their hands and revolvers in their belts while we were without weapons of any kind and all more or less weakened by confinement exposure and lack of sufficient food we fully understood the part each was to play in the drama or tragedy whichever it might prove to be 
Before proceeding further, I had to go back to the other end of the car and take leave of Morton. To see him lying in the corner of the car suffering the tortures of a lingering starvation was a sad sight indeed, and served to admonish me that his condition would soon be mine if I remained with him. Our separation was very sad and affecting. The first difficulty to overcome was to get near the guards without exciting suspicion. I had a finger-ring made of bone which had been given me by a friend on the island. It was thought, by careful manoeuvring, I might be able to trade it to the guard for some crackers, which I noticed he carried in his haversack. Accordingly I secured a position as close to him as I dared, and attracted his attention. I approached him by edging my way along, my right shoulder against the side of the car. He ordered me back, and several times threatened me. It was some time before I could get him to listen to me, but I handled him carefully, and after some parleying, handed him the ring, and told him he or some of his friends might value it as a memento, coming from a Yankee soldier. I pleaded for a few crackers, and he eventually gave me two and a part of a third. By this time I had got sufficiently close to the door to be able to get an occasional glance outside as the train rumbled along and tossed me from side to side. I remember crossing a bridge, which I afterwards learned spanned Cedar Creek, a tributary of the Tar River. This bridge was probably eight miles or more from Franklinton Station my companions had all gained their positions the one who was to assist me was standing behind the shoulder of the guard far enough away to avoid attracting attention and yet close enough to reach him two others had cautiously taken positions behind the other guard the crackers were eagerly ravenously devoured we had consumed the rations issued to us early that morning long before the middle of the day six months as a prisoner of war with a continual craving for food and with but one short ration that morning made this deal with the guard one of great importance now all were ready with suppressed breath swelling hearts and quickening pulses we anxiously awaited the momentous moment all at once as if everything were working in concert with us the cars slackened their speed we were evidently on an ascending grade. On visiting the point since the war, I found this to be true. Of course, the difference was not very great, but it was noticeable. We had agreed upon a signal, but this change in the speed of the train took its place, and that this was the supreme moment flashed upon all of us at once. I was on the point of looking around to see if the thought had struck the other boys, when crash went the lantern, and then there rose so wild a yell within that dark and narrow cell, as all the fiends from heaven that fell were pealing the battle-cry of hell. The struggling guards were shouting to each other, calling down all sorts of maledictions upon the blankety-blank-blank blank Yankees the light was out and in that car pandemonium had full swing it is not necessary hard as it is to avoid it to go more fully into detail suffice it to say there was not a hitch in the whole proceeding our plans were carried out perfectly and in less time perhaps than it takes now to write it out 
when obstructions were removed we sprang out into the darkness the boy who knocked out the light was the tallest member of the party and had been selected for that duty because of his ability to easily reach the lantern he and his companion who belonged to the same regiment took advantage of the confusion and dodged out of the car at the outstart leaving the three others engaged with the guard it was well they did for they clung to the lantern which proved of great value to us afterward it was perhaps about midnight when full bruisers we picked ourselves up out of the sand where we had fallen and in answer to suppressed whistling came together we were free the reflection brought with it feelings far different from those which possessed us a few minutes previous yet when we contemplated our situation the thought occurred that expressions of pleasure at that time might be premature we were not yet out of the woods were in the heart of the enemy's country to the nearest point of territory held by the union forces it was more than a hundred miles the future looked gloomy indeed the most difficult part of the task was yet to overcome the train had not yet stopped and after congratulating ourselves we proceeded to consider the course to be pursued as to subsequent movements at this moment another matter attracted our attention a strange clattering noise was heard in the distance and as it grew more distinct we crouched upon the ground and with bated breath awaited results presently three or four figures passed along the railroad track the amount of noise made led us at first to believe there was quite a large force of troops coming but it proved to be four negroes who we afterwards learned were wearing wooden-soled shoes which owing to the scarcity of leather in the south were worn almost entirely by this class of persons these shoes were made by using rawhide for the uppers and nailing it to the soles made of wood the latter being from one-half to perhaps an inch thick at least this is my recollection after this little interruption we crossed the railroad and travelled westward in the direction of tennessee after walking three or four miles and becoming well-nigh exhausted we lay down in the forest and slept till daylight on waking up in the morning and finding ourselves too close to the open country for safety we moved further into the woods and selecting what we supposed to be a secluded spot concluded to stop and recruit our wasted strength the pangs of hunger were tormenting us and how to get relief must now engage our attention one of the party started out on a reconnaissance and in a couple of hours returned with six ears of corn we took the lantern which as before mentioned was thrown out of the car and which was picked up and carried along broke the top off and used the tin bottom for parching our corn we gathered a few sticks of wood and made a small fire carefully guarding against making more smoke than could possibly be helped we all fell to work parching and eating parched corn has not much tendency to allay hunger consequently all we could get did not check the craving for more i have heard a story which frequently occurs to me and when it does i am invariably reminded of that parched corn experience it is the story of an old darkey who caught a possum killed and dressed him put it in the oven to bake surrounded it with sweet potatoes etc and then the old man laid down to sleep while his possum baked he was very hungry and fondly anticipated a treat when he woke up 
about the time the possum was done a mischievous acquaintance happened along stole the possum and ate it all up then he took the bones put them down in front of the old man greased his lips with possum grease and rubbed the grease over his fingers when the old man woke up he missed his possum he saw the bones lying in front of him he saw possum grease on his fingers and tasted possum grease on his lips and finally said well am it possible dat i eat dat air possum while i were asleep it done look like i must have eat him but for god dat air possum had less effect on de stomach dan any possum dis child ever eat that was the way with the parched corn it had a mighty poor effect on the stomach we remained at that place that and the day following having nothing to eat but parched corn the corn was procured from a slave whose owner lived a short distance from where we were hiding fearing our getting away might have been made known we kept very quiet spending most of our time deliberating as to the best route to the union lines and the means to be adopted to gain them and trying to exterminate the tormenting vermin which had started colonies upon every part of our clothing it was an imperative duty in order to keep the upper hand to wage continual war upon these pests on this occasion we had been prevented for one day from attending to this duty and in consequence they were in shoals and nations and we found it very difficult to reduce their numbers sufficiently to allow us any comfort having told our black friend to collect three or four of his most intelligent acquaintances and bring them to see us they appeared in camp on the evening of the second day without their counsel we might have made a fatal mistake at the outset the southern negroes are or were while slavery was in existence the most consummate strategists in the matter of escaping or eluding pursuit many of them had been runaways and those who had not were thoroughly schooled in the art by able teachers stories of the most marvellous flights and long-continued success in evading capture by the master and bloodhounds were told me one very old woman whom i afterwards met told me she had spent nearly her whole life in the swamps and cane brakes in order to throw the bloodhounds off their tracks they would besmear their feet hands and clothing with a mixture composed partly of brimstone in crossing fences or going through the forests they were careful to allow no part of the body or dress to come in contact with the rails or trees but that which had been rubbed with the compound we were advised to separate for the reason that if we remained together it would be difficult to find food for so many and the chances for being discovered were much greater when the powwow broke up it was well into the night and taking leave of each other we folded our tents like the arab and silently stole away into the darkness two of the party resolved to continue westward in the direction of tennessee the distance to the union lines was greater but the country to be travelled was mountainous and thought to be safer one chose to go northward towards virginia another started for roanoke river intending to follow it to the coast i started directly eastward having determined to take the nearest and most direct route to the union forces on the coast of north carolina and intending to make up by caution what i might lose by having the most dangerous route 
after travelling some time i came suddenly upon a cabin situated in the edge of the forest and being almost famished i figured around until i satisfied myself that it would probably be safe to arouse the dwellers within in most cases the cabins stood in clusters in the vicinity of the residence of the proprietor of the plantation on which they were situated but sometimes you would find one standing in some isolated spot far removed from any other i had no means of knowing what time it was perhaps about midnight an old black man answered my summons and when he appeared i asked him if it would be safe in the house for a yankee without giving him time to reply i pushed in past him we closed the door and i then explained to him who i was and what i wanted i found myself in a room containing some crude articles of furniture and perhaps half a dozen little children lying promiscuously on the floor the fireplace was the most conspicuous thing in view it occupied nearly the whole of one side of the cabin the man aroused his wife and told her to get up and see a yankee she had evidently never seen a union soldier and like all others of her class entertained strange ideas of his appearance from the stories they had been told of the crimes committed by the yankees and the punishment inflicted upon the black people who fell into their hands their fancies had painted some horrible-looking creature which would more resemble old nick than anything else after looking at me closely from head to foot she exclaimed is you a yankee yes i replied i'm a union soldier and belong to the northern army the lord bless me she said turning to her husband they told us they had horns but he looks just like our folks and she went on talking sometimes addressing me and sometimes her husband until i was compelled to interrupt her i asked her if she could spare me a bite of bread lord yes honey you look starved and she secured some meal kneaded it into a ball as large as the fist laid it on the hearth and covered it up with hot ashes this is the way they make what is called an ash cake while this was going on i felt somewhat anxious during our hasty talk the old man said the home guards often visited the cabins of the black people in the night in search of runaways and conscripts these home guards were composed of those who were either too old or too young to go into service at the front it seemed that all classes in the south had military duty of some kind to perform as a precaution against discovery i went out some distance from the house and waited until the cake was brought out in a short time my old friend came out with the cake what a treat it was no one can form an idea striking out again i followed the directions given me by the old man as near as i could in the darkness and daylight the next morning found me close to a town wearily trudging along nibbling at the ash cake which i carried in my pocket this town proved to be franklinton and it will be remembered was the same at which our train stopped and where the guard was changed turning out of the road i went in search of a place to hide during the day i soon ran into the brush or timber and in a little while came across a number of stacks of newly made rails and railroad ties i crept under one of these and sat down on the leaves shivering with cold it was in march the nights were extremely cold i was thinly clad and sometimes thought i would perish 
it was not long until i heard persons approaching and looking out between the rails saw six or eight black men carrying axes they had come to begin the day's work we were soon engaged in conversation they said some one might be there during the day and to guard against my presence becoming known to them and in order to make me as comfortable as possible they gathered together more leaves and leaned more rails against the stack they lingered at work until after dark and then put me on the road to lewisburg a town on the tar river about ten or twelve miles from franklinton one of them going some distance with me lewisburg was the town i started for the night before but losing my way had reached franklinton having made very little progress in the proper direction i reached a point within a short distance of lewisburg about daylight during the night i often felt very sick and sometimes thought i could go no further now as the day began to dawn i was utterly prostrated and with great difficulty reached some corn fodder stacks standing in a field lying down between the stacks i remained there throughout the day suffering intensely about dark i got up and staggered to a cabin which i noticed during the day standing some distance away fortunately i found it occupied by black people giving them a brief account of myself i asked for some hot tea of some kind the woman went hastily to work to get it i retired a short distance from the house as a precaution and waited until it was brought out it was made of herbs of some kind and revived me very much lewisburg is situated on the north bank of the tar river i was at this time two or three miles south of the river getting what information i could hear i started straight down the south side of the river leaving lewisburg to my left i succeeded in making a point some five or six miles below and east of the town that night the river runs eastward and empties into the pamlico river at greenville end of war memories part one